0: are continuing our process through four chairs. And so today we are on the first chair. Uh, and Pastor Dave decided to end there because really for us, as we look at our life in Christ, uh, sometimes it feels like we have to remember that seat. Right? For a lot of us, even myself, it's been 15, 18 years. It's hard to count still. Uh, the last few have seemed like they've aged me. Um, but we've come from kind of an infancy where God has transformed our heart, right? He made us alive in him, and he's grown us up with him kind of through infancy and kind of that ignorant, selfish side of, of faith into being a young adult and an adult. And last week, we talked about that movement into grandparenting. And as we look at grandparenting, that's the the place where we really start to show how we sacrifice, how we die of ourselves for the sake of others. Not just in trying to cast off the sin and the idols and those things that stand in the way of our relationship, but really to cast off anything that's going to stand in the way of us finding and reaching the folks who are in chair one. And so as we do that, we want to kind of remind ourselves how to use a clicker, that first, it's this continued process of making disciples. And last week, we talked about this, this image that Charles Adams gave us of the airplane, right? That on one wing, we had evangelism of going to make disciples. And then the other side, we actually have the making disciples, which is growing in Christ, discipleship. And that over the years, it's been really easy to separate those two. But the idea of make disciples doesn't come as two commands, but as one. And so we need to be careful that we don't also start to separate those two in our lives. All right? And we need to start this with some warnings. Because as we start to look at reaching those other folks, we need to be reminded of some stuff. Uh, just a little bit of transparency. If you're using the notes at home, your top line doesn't say warning, it says warring. It's probably still spelled wrong. But here is that piece that we're in a war with what we're trying to do, and we often will create wars uh, with others as we step into this place, Um, because it's a dividing line for us, right? And But as we go there, we need a warning because we have to remember we have all been there. We need to remember that all of us have been lost, all right? I want you guys to think, and maybe this is easier for me because I get lost all the time, all right? Uh, A few years ago, this was probably, I don't know, maybe not the last one, but the most memorable lost story. It's Christmas break, it's towards the end, I need to get out, so I take my son with me to go for a hike in the snow. Um, I told him it was a hunting season, it was bear season, but we we didn't actually find anything, we just wanted to get out. And so we go to the place I know where to go hunt, it's a place I've been forever, which is probably a problem, because then you start to get overconfident, right? Because you know where you're going. And then we pull over, we get out, we go up the trail, we get off the trail, we follow the creek, we go up the ridge, we find the spot, and we sit for a while. And then eventually we get cold and we try to go back. But here's the interesting thing about getting lost, is you don't really know you're lost until you're lost, right? And we don't want to admit we're lost until we're done being lost, because then we've given up some sort of power we think we need to get out of it. But in that place, there's this anxiety, there's stress, there's this thing we we don't know, but there's a hole in our hearts because we are lost and we can't get out of it and we need to be rescued. As we turned around, we followed the ridge back to the creek and it was the wrong creek. And then we tried to turn back around and it's snowing and I don't know where, well, it's not snowing, but it snowed. And I have no idea where my footprints are, but I can't seem to follow them except from behind me. And so eventually we t- pull out the GPS and then have to figure that out uh, and we get back. Right? And there's this relief that happens when we're found again. And so I want you to remember no matter how long ago this process was spiritually for you, we have all been lost. And so as we look at people in this chair, We need to be careful because it's not a place we've never been, but it's a place we have been and we couldn't get out of ourselves. And so to think that other people are going to do it is is wrong, but also we, we need to be careful that we don't start telling the story like we've never been there. Because that's what this culture is looking for, an authentic understanding that you know you were there and you couldn't get out of it. And so we need to be careful we don't forget that we've been lost. We also need to be aware of this label that's over there. Dan Spader calls this the seeker. We've kind of called it the lost. But here's the problem. Just like being lost, no one can tell you you're lost. My wife can't get it through my head, right? And neither can my son. But, we're, but we are lost. But we're not going to give up that piece of control until we're on the other side of that label. When we can say, yep, I admit, I didn't know where I was, but now I do. And Jesus was just as aware of labels as I think we need to be. Because in this culture we live in, labels start to be the one thing that people will hold on to. And the one dividing line that is going to stop a conversation and that will build barriers instead of break them down. As Jesus talked about the lost, he did it with his disciples. In Matthew 10, he sent out the 12 and he told them to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He wasn't talking to the house of Israel. He was talking to his disciples because they had been lost and had been found. They knew the heart behind it. And so we need to be careful as we talk about whoever is in this chair That one, we've got a connection because we used to sit there. And two, that if we label it, we're going to create a dividing line. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus again is calling to his disciples, and he had just called Zacchaeus down from the tree. And Zacchaeus' response, just as he came down, is the same. His repentance goes out, right? He starts to say, I'm going to go pay everything back. I'm sorry. There's forgiveness, there's this movement. And here's the interesting piece, that if Jesus had told him in the tree, you're lost, come down, I'll tell you the way, it probably wouldn't have ended the way it did. But he calls him down, he hears Zacchaeus' heart, and then he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So it's not until someone is found can we actually use a label to help identify some of that. And so, again, there's not too many places that Jesus is using these terms. And so we need to be careful with our labels as we use them as well. And not in these notes here, but one more. We need to be careful because Jesus knows and we don't. Again, we sat in that chair and we were lost. And it wasn't us who got found, but Christ who found us. If we look at John chapter 2... And verse 23, says this, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name. And when they saw the signs that he, that he was doing, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people, and he needed no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew what was in man. Jesus is very careful in this process because he knows the difference. And so as we enter in this place, we need to recognize that, one, we didn't know we were lost until we were found. And so how are we going to be able to identify the same thing in other people? And so the warning, the warning that's going to go inside our hearts is that we need to be careful. We don't forget our place. Because our place is as the lost but have been found now. We need to make sure our story is one of not always being on this side of that chair, but having been sat in that chair. We need to be aware of our labels and that if we start to use them, we're going to create a divide that may be difficult because the barriers are being put up. And we got to be careful because we're not going to be able to one to decide who has moved on. But Christ is the only one who has. So as we think about the lost, who are they? How do we identify them? If we've all been there and struggled with this, how do we know who's sitting in one chair and who has been kind of, who's sitting in chair two? So go ahead and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start here. We're going to go through few other places, and we'll end up coming back to this. If you want to put a marker in, go ahead. Starting in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So again, we start with this place that we are just like them. All right? But there's a difference they are dead, and we are alive. It's the work of the spirit in us and God moving, but they are both physically dead and spiritually dead and destined to a eternity apart from the heavenly Father. Dead is dead. They are dead walking in the world of the living, instead of the living walking in the world of the dead. And here's the hard part as we think about the dead. They are following the ways of this world. As the scriptures has walked this, that there is a power, there is a culture, there is a current around this world that will lead away from life and only leads to death. And as we think about that, we need to be aware of what that actually means. Because that means there are leaders that are walking us away. That means the world is struggling to take us away from life. And that if we follow what is going on, it will lead us to death. Actually, we are already dead, and it's continuing us in that path. And so the lost are dead still, the lost are following the ways of this world. We go to Romans chapter 8. Verses 5 through 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So as we look at who the flesh are, or the the lost are, they are still dead, right? That image doesn't leave us. And they're following not just the ways of this world, but they're following fleshly desires. So this means there's a current that's in the world around us, but there's also a current in our heart that will lead us and continue on this path to death. That there's something inside of us that we need to be rescued from, not just in the world around us. And this leads to a hostility towards God. It's not very hard to go look at your news feed, your social media feed, Just about any sign on the corner, there's a hostility to God in the world around us. And here's the piece. The lost aren't seeing that as hostile. They're seeing that as the normal way because that is the way of the world. And not only is there a hostility to God, but there's this idea of not pleasing to God. And so as we continue in this path, we need to recognize that the dead may look just like us. We can all read the scripture and try to follow a moral code that will lead us to some sort of self-fulfilling righteousness that we think has answered and found our rescue. But the problem is that it hasn't. What it really looks like is we know the right path, but we're leading with the wrong heart. We're listening to the, right, the wrong authority. And so although they may have the, the most, it might be the most incredible moral person you've ever seen, they are still physically and spiritually dead apart from God. Because it's not just about pleasing God, but it's about being obedient God. And so to. to to be lost, to be dead, is also to be disobedient. Because there's a part of being obedient is not just knowing that you're following the moral code, but that you're following a holy, loving Father, the creator of heaven and earth. And for some, it's not even about following that path at all, but it's about doing everything to disobey God because we can. And for some of us who even think we're found... We struggle with this perhaps even the most. This is part of my heart, is that I know the right things to do. And yet, knowing the right things to do, I still struggle to be obedient and living them out in my life. And for those of us who have been found, who have been rescued, we call that the path of sanctification. Right, This idea that we have come and seen and God has transformed our heart and as we follow God We see all of those things we need to die of that we're not willing to give to God, that will let stand in the way in that relationship. And so, here, as we look at who the lost are, we need to remember we were once there, but there's a difference. Because the lost aren't just nice people. You weren't just nice people who needed a little bit of life. But we were spiritually dead. Spiritually dead people incapable of knowing God on our own. Right? The lost don't need to be rehabilitated. We are not going to make a program here. We are not going to find the right words. We're not going to put on the right show We're not going to be able to worship the best of the best in in order to rehabilitate and to rescue people. The answer is that God, Jesus needs to resurrect their heart and to bring life into what's dead in order for the lost to be found. And this is where the gospel intermission happens. This is where that interruption of life has to happen, where, where God has moved our hearts and convicted us of our sin that we will turn to the cross and repent of our sins and fall on his grace and mercy. All right, so we know the lost are out there. We know because we were there Sometimes feels like we are them. And so how do we find them? What do we do with this? Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 28. I'm going to read this from here so it's a little easier. Give ear and hear my voice. Give attention and hear my speech. Does he who plows for sowing plow continually? Does he continually open and harrow his ground when he has leveled its surface? Does he not scatter dill, sow cumin, and, in, and put in wheat, in rows and barley in its proper place, and emmer at its border? For he is rightly instructed, his God teaches him. Dill is not threshed with a threshing sledge, nor is a cartwheel rolled over cumin, but dill is beaten out with a stick and cumin with a rod. Does one crush grain for bread? No, he does not. He does not thresh it forever. And when he drives his cartwheel over it with his horses, does he not crush it? This also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. So how do we find the lost? Isaiah is kind of unique here. Last week, we, we talked through Uh, Luke chapter 10, where Jesus had sent the 72 out, right? And he had come back and then speaking to the disciples, he said, blessed are you who see what you see. For the prophets and the rulers want to see this, have desired to see this. This is what Isaiah was looking for. This is, Isaiah is one of those prophets who would have loved to see the word be multiplied. The word grow into the next generation to be passed in this movement kicking off. But here we have Isaiah, who instead of seeing that movement, is given this image of how do we go do this? How do we find them? And whether it's successful or not, it's still the right path that we're supposed to follow. So we're going to run through a fun acronym that in the world, in the medical world, is about bringing back life. Right? CPR. Cardiopulmonary respiration? Yes. CPR. I just know CPR. (laughs) Right? But we've been brought up in this process of how do we we bring life back? And this isn't my acronym for this. And so the, the acronym is the same, is we need to cultivate we need to plant and we need to reap. And so this idea of cultivation is about preparing, right? Preparing the soil as Isaiah, in Isaiah continues, right? Does he open and harrow his ground continually? Does he level its surface, right? How are, how are we preparing the ground that the seed is going to be sown in? As we look at Christ's life, he spent 30 years from infancy to adulthood learning the culture he was embedded in. He learned the language. He learned the imagery. He learned how to relate and build relationships. He learned, how the, he learned the scripture. He learned who he was. Right? It was about cultivating who he was, but it was also about cultivating how do we engage the culture around us right? It's culture and context coming together so we can speak a language that the world will understand, right? Jesus spoke in parables about about farming, right? About the temple, about things they knew about. I want you to imagine scripture. If scripture started saying, in, in Jesus's parable was about texting. I'm pretty sure that at that point, no one's going to understand what texting really looks like. So, for us, how do we understand our culture and our context and the language of the world around this church, right? Of the relationships that we have with people to be able to cultivate for what happens next? Because we move on to planting. And Isaiah talks about how we, we sow cumin and we scatter dill and we plant wheat and rose and barley has its place and you put emmer or this other wheat around the borders. Right? It's kind of a, it, we're planting the right seeds in the right place and still holding to the same true gospel. And here, here's the piece. As, as Jesus planted, as he went, he spent time in relationships. He spent time being intentional and with purpose, right? That's that piece of of disciple making we've been talking about. And so as we go and love those who are in the chair we used to be in, right, how are we building into their lives? How are we connecting into their lives? Here's my picture. I'm a hunter. My conversation about hunting doesn't go well in the vegan crowd okay? Sometimes it struggles in the hiking crowd, right? We we all have different things, and that's good. We are unique. And so as we go and plant into the people in our lives, we need to recognize how to do that. Sometimes we need to change. Sometimes we need to recognize God puts people in our life that just doesn't make sense, right? But we're still supposed to love them. And sometimes there's people in our lives that, you know what, there's someone better, to go do that? And how do we help that relationship grow? And so it's about planting both relational items in time as it is the truth. Uh, This week, I learned about a new term when it comes to chaplaining. Uh, It's called respect space. Uh, I used to call it earning the the right to be in relationship. Um, But I think this is a very good understanding for us. As as a chaplain shows up on scene, and there's someone, whoever it is, who's been a victim or traumatized, um, they're in a space we don't get to just walk into. You just don't get to walk into anyone's life and expect to understand. Because again, we are uniquely created. And so as we get to this point, we need to stop because you're not allowed to enter respect space. You're invited into respect space. You're invited into relationships with those who are lost. And so how do we do that? The right seeds and the right places. We listen. We take time. We try to understand. And as much as we think we have commonality, we don't. Because again, they're individual people. They have an individual past. They have individual trauma that will make whatever goodness I try to give them wrong. So not until we are invited in does that change. And that's also part of the opportunity that gives us the ability to speak the gospel into life, to share the seeds of the truth, which leads us from cultivating to planting to reaping. And again, here's the picture. Dill is beaten out with a stick and cumin with a rod and we don't crush grain for bread and we don't thresh it forever. There is a way to go reap. And it's in the right time with the right relationships, with the right next steps and with the right heart. So here's the picture. As we, as we get ready, as that, that seed is growing uh, all seeds germinate at a different time. We don't get to go harvest every crop on the same timeline. And so as we invest in people, we need to recognize some people, it will take 30 seconds, and Jesus has worked. And, his, and the hearts are transformed. And for others, it will take decades and decades, and perhaps not even your lifetime. And that's okay. Okay. Because this process isn't just about you, but it's about them. And we need the right relationship because if we haven't built that relationship, if we haven't been invited in, again, all we're going to do is create another barrier. And we need to move with the right next steps because no one reaps and leaves it on the harvest field. They cut it, they take it in, they take care of it. They have a plan for what happens to the wheat, for the cumin, who's going to buy it next. And the same thing with us is we need to recognize that, again, that airplane has two wings. Not only do we need to reach them, but we need to help them grow in relationship with Christ. The great part is we have nothing to do with the transformation that happens. But we are invited to be in the relationship, into life with them, and to walk with them on this path. And we can't skip this, but we need the right heart. Because if the only reason we're doing this is so we feel good, then we've missed it. Because here's the piece. God loved us before we loved him. He came to rescue us before we even knew we were lost or would admit it. And so if the only reason we're doing what we're called to do is because we want to make sure we can tell God, I did what you said to do, then our heart's in the wrong place yes, it's true, we're going to be doing what he's called us to do. But we do it because we were there and someone loved us. And if we're only thinking about ourselves in that, that we're not thinking about them and we're not, that's not the true gospel. So how do we know this is going to work? We know there are lost because we were lost. We know how to find them because someone found us, and they didn't give up on us. It took years before I would recognize even a call to ministry, let a, a call to a transformed heart. And I grew up in the church. So how do we know this is going to work? So let's go back to Ephesians. Chapter 2, starting in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, but it is the gift of God. Not a result of the works, so that no one may boast. For we are all his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We know it's going to work because it's a movement of God. But God happened. But God transformed. But God sent his son. And you know what? If it worked in your heart, why was it not going to work in anyone else's heart? So why would we think, why would we limit our ability to reach them just because we don't think we can? Because it's a God thing. And we know it's going to work because it's completely motivated by love. If we do this because it's about us, then we're going to do it probably not well. Although God can do incredible things with what we think isn't good. But love is going to be what changes it. That's what happened in us again. And we know it's going to work because it's a product of a healthy body. Jesus keeps using these images, and God uses these images of plants and things that grow because healthy things reproduce. The the difficult thing about COVID has been the number of of emails and articles about how to deal with COVID, how, how this has helped me, how to prepare. As soon as we think we have an answer for health, we share it with the world. We share the joke. We share those things that have meaning something to us. And we know that God has made these healthy things to reproduce. And that they share and they invite in. And so we know this can happen because it's happened in us. The reason you sit here in this pew or at home or with any sort of faith is because God has moved through the generations from one generation to the next, continually planting and sowing and reaping for all of these years. And his plan isn't ending until he comes back for the harvest. So as we think about what's coming next, Because this world, this crazy that's going on, six months ago, people came to the door saying, is it the end? And I don't know. But we're six months later, leaving one more day at a time and things keep getting weirder. And so we just have to accept and say, okay, let's get busy. Let's make disciples. Let's not put up walls, but let's reach out to those who are just like us who don't just need to be rehabilitated, but need to be resurrected. So let's ask ourselves in our lives, who do you live life with? Who are you intentional with? Who are you building relationships with? Who do you purposely live life with? And if as you look at that and your measure is only those in the pew, only those of faith— only those who look just like me, then we're going to struggle in reaching the next generation. Because if we're not loving those who, were, who are just like us, except for God, we're missing part of what we're called to do. Because then all making disciples is about us staying within our walls. And that's not healthy, nor does it provide for the future. And then let's ask the question, what are you planting? This means we need to know how to speak into the culture and context of Hillsboro that sits around us. If we look at the life of the church, this church has grown from a city of less than 5,000 to a city of over 105,000 people. Over the course of 130 years, context has changed. And so are we able to plant into that context around us? And here's the problem. If we don't figure out how to do that now, we're not going to be able to to see our future do the same thing. Because the problem isn't the culture out there. The problem is, is that the next generation is going to have to figure out how to plant into the culture that's changing for them. And then what are you reaping? The saying goes, we reap what we sow, and I think it's true. And we need to remember that we should be reaping what we sow, right? Yes, we're part of that process. We need to be engaged in it, not just to go out and harvest the field, but to be called to all of it. And if reaping sees easy to you, then I'll challenge you by saying it shouldn't be. Because to me, it's probably one of the hardest things I think I can do, and I don't think I do it well. Because here's the problem: is I know, and sometimes I feel closer to that chair than I do to being in the others. And at some point, someone challenged me and encouraged me. And I know it takes time to, to be able to speak into relationship to be invited in. And I may only have one opportunity. Because do you know what? There is a hostility to God. There is a desire to follow the ways of this earth. There are dead people who will remain dead. And so it should tug on your heart because that may be the one opportunity. God is still going to do incredible things, but we should feel like we've got an impact. And we should feel like we should be more worried Not about that we tried, but was it successful? Because what's at risk is not your position with the Heavenly Father, but the eternal future of the lost is what sits on it. And so if we're more worried about our position versus theirs, we're not in a healthy place. And we're going to end with one last question is, what's the next step? Because as we walk through this, if we're calling people and we leave them in that gap between chair one and chair two, if we're not going to commit into friendship, into life with them as they walk this process and help them grow into a healthy place, then we're missing out on the full call of making disciples which is about reaching them and growing them up in Christ and trusting God's doing the work. He's the one who loves us. And he's looking out for the future by loving those today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for how you love us, how you provide, how you care, how you... Do the work that we think is so incredibly out of our hands, because it is, because you transform the heart. You resurrect the dead. And Lord, you bring us on this path, and so encourage us on this path that we may go and reach the lost, because we were there. Sometimes we are there. Grow in us this heart, this desire to not just do what you've commanded, but to see the lost come to life. In your name we pray, amen.